Sales Tuners, Episode 22, James Moore, Chief Revenue Officer at Simplify. This game of ratios that you make X number of calls to get X number of appointments and X number of appointments convert. And I'm of the belief that today that it's not really a high volume game. It's not baseball. We're not playing 155 games and hoping to bat 500 because that means half the people who heard my story didn't want to buy it. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Tuner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Viktor Frankl, who said, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost anyhow. Joining me today is James Moore, Chief Revenue Officer at Simplify, a Fort Worth-based programmatic platform for display, mobile, video, native, and social advertising. In his more than 20 years of sales leadership, James has used his passion to lead sales at some incredible companies, including eBay, ADP, and CareerBuilder. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Okta for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salesooners.com slash 22. But now, let's get right to the conversation. Well, the one thing you missed in my bio is that in addition to the great accomplishments at work, um, I'm most proud of of being a husband and a father, and uh, I've got a great family here in Phoenix, Arizona, and and being successful at work has afforded me the the luxury of uh, seeing this country and seeing the world, and so I love what I do, and I'm, I'm glad to be here talking about it. Simplify. One of the things I know about you is you do lead a, a passion-driven life, and just right out of the gate, I can sense the the passion coming out of you. So, uh, James, as you know, in this show, you know we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. So, the first thing that I want to do is talk about your sales process today. Tell me what is Simplify, and how does someone buy from you? Yeah, Simplify is a programmatic media buying platform. To a lot of people, that might be like I'm speaking another language. But as the internet has exploded over the last 25 years, both on desktop, laptop, mobile devices, now streaming over television sets, we're seeing things such as billboards become electronically enabled, the signs you view when you go into a um, into an elevator. So what we do is we work with the largest buyers of local advertising to help essentially power and deliver their media campaigns digitally anywhere people happen to be. And so... Here at Simplify, about half of our client base is working with large brands, uh, regional and national brands who have hundreds or thousands of locations and who needed to deliver digital campaigns across multiple devices and have those audiences be highly localized to those individualized markets. The other half of our business is we work with and support some of the largest local focused media groups in the country. We'll work with some of the largest cable companies. TV broadcasting company, newspaper publishers. And so uh, I'm in a very unique position as a, as a salesperson and a sales leader because I have a direct sales team that's working with some big brands. And by extension, through the partnerships we have, I've got access to work with and influence thousands of local salespeople throughout the country. 
And so uh, we um, have a direct sales team that's out there in the marketplace and obviously um, uh, companies, uh, agencies, and or media groups who are looking for the type of solutions we provide can reach out to us directly at uh, simply.fi, uh, hi at simply.fi, or of course, James at simply.fi. I love it. I love it. Now, James, clearly you haven't always been you know, the person you are today. How did you get started in sales? Take me back there. Wow. You know, it gives me an opportunity to kind of reflect. And I appreciate you asking the question you did, because I think uh, when I look back at it in high school, I was an athlete. Um, uh, I was uh, very good at, at being very good at sports. And I wish I had probably studied harder uh, and really lacked some direction going into college. Um, but two things happened, I think, um, during my college years. Number one, I have an older sister. She married um, a guy that I respected a great deal who graduated from the University of Texas. And, and my father was an electrician and a, and a school teacher. Um, uh, my mother, uh, you know, very much uh, worked, uh, you know, six and seven days a week and uh, a lot of labor. And it was the first person in my life that I saw went into a career of sales, was having success, buying a home, providing for a family. And I just said, you know, I want to be that guy. And, uh, and it was uh, very inspirational. And secondary to that, when I was in college, like most people, I probably didn't have the clearest direction of what I wanted to do. But I remember taking that very initial speech class. Um, and it's one of the um, early times in my life that I can remember a professor or a teacher literally coming to me for something other than sports and saying, you know what? I don't know if you've thought about a career where you get to interact and speak with people, but you have a real knack for it. And there's something about the way you communicate, both interpersonally and at a podium that just kind of demands attention. Uh, and, and, and you really should consider it. And it stuck with me uh, really uh, at a very early state in college. And I had this vision that I'm going to come out of school and I'm, I'm going to launch into a career of sales. And uh, really, there's been no turning back since. It's an incredible gesture to be given that uh, so early. So talk to me about that first job. What what were you doing and you know, how did you learn the business of sales? Well, uh, you know, looking back on it, my first sales job was as a classroom sales rep and not the kind of classroom sales rep that would go into the schools and talk to the kids and students. But I was given a large territory, North Carolina, South Carolina and northern Georgia. And my job was to go out and call on every single jewelry store in, in a two to three state area. If the town was big enough to have a jewelry store, then I was calling on them. And my goal was to engage with the owner uh, about carrying my class rings in their store to try to get those uh, uh, families to come in to shop with those students. And while they're there, obviously, the mom and dads would have the opportunity to see all the great product that they had in their location. And I look back on that job, Jim, it was a $17,000 base salary. I had a car allowance and a $45 a day per diem. So I was wow. eating, out every, eating out every night. And I felt like I was the, the king of the world, right? Like, man, I've made it. Um, and, but, you know, it was a simple sale, right, in that it was a single buying influence. It was usually the owner or an owner's family member. Um, and it really wasn't until about two years after that first job that I took a job with Airborne Express. And Airborne Express at the time was a Fortune 500 company. Um, they were uh, they've since been acquired by DHL, but they were a competitor to Federal Express and UPS. And of course, this, this was my from a sale to a complex B2B sale, multiple buying influences, um, uh, representing a, a major uh, international company. And I started as a sales rep in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was with those guys uh, for 
a little over five years. Ultimately, was in leadership. I opened up their Nashville office. I ran their uh, Houston office, which was a tier one market. Um, and it was there at Airborne Express, incidentally, that I, I found a company investing in me. They they uh, they were big believers in Miller Hyman, uh, conceptual selling, strategic selling. A mm-hmm. lot of that language, a lot of that language, I still use today. Uh, how I manage the funnel process, how I identify buying influences, how we eliminate red flags, what buying mode people are in. I look back on some of the, the very things that are central uh, to the language I use with my sales team and our culture today. And it all ties back to what was really just this amazing base of training that a Fortune 500 company had afforded me. And from there, um, I, I left that company in 2001 to join a company nobody in the world ever heard of called CareerBuilder.com. Uh, at the time, they had just been acquired um, uh, headhunter.net and uh, monster.com was this big rising company. And it was this big leap of faith to go from a Fortune 500 company into, into this uh, strange new world of internet and, uh, and job postings. But I uh, joined them as an area sales manager in uh, Houston, Texas. Then I opened up the first office in, in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And then ultimately, uh, by about year five, I was running the Midwest out of the corporate office in Chicago, Illinois. And I look back on that experience, Jim, and I learned to manage a P&L. I learned to do facilities. I learned how to handle my recruitment. In addition to uh, defining you know, whether we wanted open territory structures or, or named account structures, uh, we experimented with inside sales versus outside sales. We uh, went, uh, had a team member on my staff. We launched our first international office, and I had to really learn how to how to bridge the success we were having domestically and how are we going to go into another market like uh, like the UK and find success. And so I look back on the uh, over five years I spent at CareerBuilder and believe that I got an MBA by fire. Um, yeah. Let's let, uh, let's break some of that down real quick, James. So one of the things you talked about was uh, your Miller-Hyman sales training. I feel like uh, today's world, you know, outside of the Fortune Fives, we're not training salespeople anymore. Uh, talk to me about maybe uh, at, at Simplify, how are you bringing true sales training to to your people or, or what do you see out there in the market today? Well, so gosh, uh, I would say, first of all, there's a real commitment to uh, culture that exists within Simplify. And that's not only a company culture, but it's a sales culture. And uh, I forget who wrote the book. It might have been Daniel Pinkerton, but he wrote a, a book about what motivates people. Uh, and kind of this day and age, and it talks about how the old management style was um, carrots and, uh, mm-hmm. and sticks. You know, yeah, let's, let's hang, let's, right? Let's let's Daniel let's let's hang the incentive out there, or let's or let's put the right punishment in place. And, and what he what he said resonated with me, which is that's not really what motivates people. At the end of the day, people want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. They want to be good at what they do, and confidence plays such a huge role in in a seller's ability to be successful. And so, you know, I. At Simplify, find myself in a very technical sale, and unfortunately, we we hire salespeople who come up really through the media ranks, and we're selling a technology also to people in the marketing side of business who also came up in the marketing ranks, and so you've got a non-technology seller selling a technology to a non-technology buyer, and the challenge there is that you essentially got a confused seller selling to a confused buyer, and everybody wants to pretend that they know everything, and hmm. and when and when we present what we do, and they say, well, how is this different than X? XYZ, the only answer to that question, oftentimes it's a technical answer. And so um, we spend a lot of time at simplifying one, making sure that you understand the core value and mission of this company. We built the technology to fundamentally solve a different problem. Uh, and, and I can't teach you anything about sales if you don't understand the business challenge that we're trying to solve and, and really have it resonate with you at a gut level. Uh, the other thing we do is we spend a lot of time um, uh, making sure that our team is proficient on really the product. 
the execution and demo of the product, uh, what it can and can't do. And I say that that's important because in a technology world, we have 85 developers working in three-week sprints. And so if somebody said they knew what Simplify did for a living, they'd be out of their minds because we have a hard time keeping up with it and we work in the company. And so uh, a big part of our job is making sure that, uh, that the cross-departmental communication and the training and that everybody's up to speed about what the product can do today because it may be very different than what it could have done a month ago. So we spend a lot of time uh, not only training people up front, we have ongoing training and development uh, with our sales teams. And then, of course, um, you know, uh, I, I'm a firm believer in that I'm of my greatest value and my managers are of their greatest value when they're in the field. Uh, simply, uh, you know, engaged in servant leadership, which means, you know, uh, put me in the room. Uh, I, I know that uh, you've been trained your whole life to shut up and let the salesperson uh, uh, sell. But to be honest with you, what I've learned over time is that they learn more. Uh, by putting you in the room, they, they, I've got the proverbial gray in the hair. They want to see me do what I do and talk about what we do passionately. And they learn so much just by observing us executing and doing our job. And so I'm a big fan of just um, having people learn through observation uh, and, then, and then pulling through results. Interesting. Uh, lots of different ways I want to I go with that. But you, you talked also about the MBA that you essentially got from your time at CareerBuilder. You talked about the open territories, where you're going to go with that. You also talked about this inside versus outside sales. And I feel like that's something right now that's going on that I believe that we're moving to a place where all sales is inside sales, right? Like you can sell on the phone regardless. You don't have to be in the field, although you can be. But I think it's the same salesperson. Any thoughts on that or maybe what you've seen you know, over your, your uh, 20 years plus of ex leadership experience? Well, you know, so I don't know if it's so much the whole world's becoming inside sales as much as inbound has become the new outbound. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, the way you look at it, we live in an information society. The internet has fundamentally changed the way people transact and information. I mean, Jim, you wouldn't uh, take a, a trusted family member out to a restaurant without reading the review and having some understanding of what it is they do. Uh, you have the opportunity to view the menu before you ever walk in the front door to see what people think about it, uh, to understand whether there's seating availability and what time and, and, and to, to be frank, I don't know anybody who's going to engage in a sales process about anything that's important to their business without having some sort of understanding that if they, to, uh, they need you, they will seek you. Uh, and if they seek you, you need to be found. And if you are found, you need to be able to resonate clearly with what you do and, and make the process by which they can get, engage you pretty easy. And so, um, you know, that's never been harder. Um, as you know, um, I've got teenagers and I work with uh, a lot of millennials myself. They've got phones, but uh, they frankly don't like to talk on them. Uh, they've got an email, and if it sounds like an email, then they delete it. Uh, and so it's never been harder to get an audience with somebody. Uh, and yet, if you can differentiate quickly on a sales call, it's never been easier to get somebody engaged in trying your product. Um, and I'm happy to talk about that in greater detail. But um, I honestly believe that that uh, inbound is kind of the new outbound. And I also um, you know, live a, a great deal of my life, Jim, believing that, uh, you know, that this game of ratios that you make X number of calls to get X number of appointments, next number uh, of appointments convert. And, you know, I'm of the belief that um, today that it's not really a high volume game. It's not baseball. We're not playing 155 games and hoping to bat 500 because that means half the people who heard my story didn't want to buy it. And if half the people who heard my story didn't want to buy it, then something's fundamentally wrong with our story and our value proposition. And so, you know, we are targeting the right kinds of customers. 
Um, we are doing everything we can to uh, to get uh, content in front of them, to go through connection channels, to be creative, a professional, uh, to gain their attention. And then once we gain their attention, um, I'm very big on, on focus on the execution. I want our close rate to be exceptionally high, that people who hear our story want to try it. So I definitely wanted you to go deeper into that you talked about. So uh, you said it's never been harder to get in front of somebody or get somebody's attention. Uh, you started to allude to some of the things that you're doing, but how are you opening up accounts today? And and tell me how that's changed, uh, you know, beyond just the uh, uh, outbound as a new inbound, or I'm sorry, inbound as a new outbound, but talk to me about the, that from your experience. Well, so there are, um, I'm going to say something, and I don't know that it's particularly popular, but I believe it really with my whole heart, and it's certainly relevant in the business that I'm in today. And that is that there are some things that we are taught as salespeople and have been taught over the last many, many years that uh, are losing their relevance in today's marketplace and the way they buy. One of those things is this idea of client needs analysis and, and, and asking questions and really digging into people before you present solutions. Uh, and the other one is what I call the signature event, which is this idea that uh, when somebody signs a piece of paper that you've won. Uh, and let me just explain that. Um, uh, there's a book out there and, um, uh, I, you know, I, I try to read a, a few, a handful of books a year. And one of them that really resonated with me because it was just like a, a two by four up against the head uh, a couple of years ago was a book called snap selling. And, and in snap selling, um, the author makes this argument that says, you know, people are more overworked than they've ever been. They're juggling all these tasks. They have access to information. If they needed you, they would have found you. And so, um, when you go into a sales call today, uh, it used to be that you would ask a ton of questions and really dig in and get a bunch of information. But here's the thing. They're not prepared to invest the amount of uh, time and emotional capital to share a bunch of information with you up front anymore. Uh, uh, they are uh, moving quick. Uh, they want they want you quickly uh, to differentiate. You know, it's, it's kind of like, hi, my name's Susie. I'm, I'm relatively busy. And I know you'd love to ask me a million questions about my business, and I'm sure your platform does a million things, but could you net it out for me? What is it that you guys do that you think is particularly unique and different? And so the, the today's marketplace with a chaotic buyer basically says, I have to earn the right upfront quickly in order for you to uh, be able to invest other personnel and your time and energy into going down a process with me. And so we try to differentiate incredibly quickly to say, look, we do a lot of things, but if you're asking why people work with us, these are the one or two things they do, and this is what it does for their business. And then beyond that, what we find is that people are inherently distrustful of salespeople in general sometimes, especially in a technology sale when they're buying something that they don't fully understand. And so I, I like to tell my salespeople, we live in an era of testing. And that is, uh, you know, if you go in and can differentiate quickly, then they are going to see how fast and with and with the least amount of friction possible that they can make the leap from, okay, you've got me convinced that you've got something differentiated. Now, how do I try this? Because you can tell me all this wonderful things, but until I experience you, until I experience the performance, until I experience your client success team, until I experience what it's like to work with you, I don't know whether inherently you're a good company to work with. And so we have a saying here at, at Simplify that, that the sale is no longer that initial agreement, the sale is the sale after the sale. And and uh, and for us, uh, we get in, we differentiate, uh, we make the process as easy as possible for people to be able to, uh, to engage with us. But really, it's those initial 30 days, 60 days, 90 days that are going to define whether the reality of what they bought uh, matches the belief 
of what they believe they would get in that hyper accelerated sales environment they're in. It's almost like the sales process is a lot like dating today. There's the there's the Tinder profile and, you know, it may look beautiful, but the first date is where the rubber meets the road and they make the decision about whether you were what we thought you were. And I would argue that the sales process has been highly compressed today um, um, because of the information flow and chaos and and, and the need to differentiate quickly. And people are just inherently uh, distrustful about things they do not fully understand, like technology. And so it's how fast can I get to the first date so that I can validate whether you're for real. And so for us, so for us, that's, uh, that's what's worked for us. And that, that's meant, you know, changing a lot of, of uh, you know, hardcore beliefs. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really intrigued by that. And the analogy of Tinder, right? So yeah, I've swiped right. That's great. But we still haven't got it on that first date. So swiping right is kind of like that signature event. So I, I got to ask this just because the way you just talked about that. So have you changed your salespeople's compensation to be uh, more incentivized uh, for the sale after the sale? Or are they still incentivized on that signature event? Well, of course, compensation could be a complicated matter, except for you're talking to me. And uh, I attended a class at Wharton once uh, called Managed Through Influence. And, and uh, I learned some things in that class as well. And one of the things that, um, let me just say first and foremost, before I was a sales leader, Jim, I was a salesperson. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I, the one thing I hate, right, when I became a sales leader is I just made a list of all the things that I hated as a salesperson. And I hate complexity in compensation plans. I don't like doing my job and at the end of the month, not knowing what my check's actually going to be. So here at Simplify, we have built our um, compensation model almost inherently on recurring revenue, which means, um, you know, if you sell a dollar and that dollar likes us and renews from now to eternity, then you will continue to make money on that dollar. If you are focused on business that is either bad business or flight oriented that no matter how we do isn't there tomorrow, um, then we're fundamentally not growing as a business and you're not growing your compensation. And so uh, there is a real incentive here at Simplify to say selling a business that ultimately isn't going to stick is not in your interest. You will not be able to grow your compensation plan, but we're business building here. So if you can sell a client on spending $20,000 a month for the next 90 days, and if we are successful and provide great service, and then they decide to continue and to renew that business for the next year or to increase their spend, then every single month that you're in employment, you have an opportunity to increase your compensation. But ultimately, um, you know, if you are uh, excellent at executing on the front end sale of getting a signature, but you are poor in terms of your collaboration with our client success team and then challenging clients for the right goals up front and all the things that are frankly necessary to ensure that that business recurs, then you're going to fail uh, in this company and your compensation will suffer accordingly. So the only way to win to be frank, is to be focused on the sale after the sale from the very first engagement. Yeah, I love that alignment of you know the post sale, right? So um, I, I'm a big fan. Also, you know, James, you're talking about this essentially this testing environment, right? So whether it's a 90 day pilot or something along those lines, it's like, hey, let us kind of prove to this, and you're going to pay for it. But what we really want to do is just show you how we're going to do this, and then afterwards, that's when we sign a big contract for a long term or something along those lines, because you have you've gotten to experience our client success team. We've challenged you on the right things. We've set some benchmarks. So I. I really love um, how you guys have started to align that. You talked about, James, uh, if 50% of the people don't buy from you, that's a messaging problem, right? That It's no longer about the ratios. Again, if 50% don't buy from you, there's an issue. I, I totally get where you're going with that. But at the same time, even though you're differentiating, it's not like everyone you're reaching out to is ready to buy or wants to buy. So how, what are the things that you're, you're testing there? And what do you do with those 50% that don't buy? 
Well, so I, uh, that's a fair that's a fair statement, Jim. Uh, but you know, the way I characterize it to requalify it here on this podcast, I would say this: when I go out and I run a sales call, and I've done a fair job of communicating what I do, and we've done a fair job of qualifying that this is a business that can in fact use what it is we do. Um, I expect a very high level of close rate. Now, close rate may mean that they have an immediate opportunity for us. Close rate may mean, look, we're planned out for the next six months, uh, but this is this is uh, sounds differentiated. Uh, the next time we're evaluating this, we want to uh, make sure that you guys are included in that process. And so, I've been here now for going on six years, and you know, I've had the luxury of seeing deals come in even this last month. And it's like, I can remember my first sales call with that organization was a year ago or two years ago. And so I take a great deal of pride in this idea that, you know, we made an impact when we were on that sales call. And oftentimes, by the way, it's not even with the company that we were speaking to, but it was with the individual, right? So, so in other words, I went into a business, I delivered, you know, what I think is a, a very candid uh, sales call uh, that was very differentiated. I didn't put them through PowerPoint hell. I spoke to them in plain English. Uh, I challenged their assumptions. And I said, this is what we do. And this is what we do it for. And this is why I'm so passionate about, about what it can do for your business. And they were very clear, like, you know, we don't know uh, that there's an opportunity for you in this business right now. But it's very rewarding to me to have that exact same contact contact me when they are now the head of marketing at a completely different organization. And they're like, you know what? You met with me and it didn't, we didn't have an opportunity there, but your close rate's still high because I believe that you're probably a pretty good fit for what it is we're doing now. And that's what I mean by making every sales call count and making sure that there's some dollars following it, whether it's short term or long term, whether it's in that company or somewhere else. That's something that I wish every person listening to this podcast would would just write that down and take that home. You never know when that person's going to come back to you at another organization, right? And whether you, the salesperson, are at the same organization or not is irrelevant. You're selling to people and, and you could be selling to them for life if you treat them the right way, if you guide them down the right process. So I love hearing that. that that's awesome, James. Talk to me about some of the objections, though, that you you are getting um, and, and how maybe you're overcoming some of those in the actual sale. So, you know, I'm very lucky uh, to go back to Miller Hyman, right? Miller Hyman said there's basically four buying modes, people in growth mode, people in trouble mode, people in overconfident mode, and people in even kill mode. Uh, I'm very lucky in that media is very disruptive things to the internet right now and kind of the internet of things. And so, you know, um, while it's difficult for the, some of my partners in the TV space as more media moves over the top, for the newspaper space as people start um, uh, getting their content through whatever means they want as opposed to going to that, you know, that newspaper. So uh, eyeballs and ears are essentially spreading all over the web. And the disruptive nature of that means that a huge portion of the people we call on are, in fact, either in growth mode or trouble mode frankly, uh, all the time. And that's why the industry's growing better than 50% year over year. That's why our company's growing better than 50% year over year. And there's just a dynamic of change there. We do encounter um, quite a bit of what I would call uh, even keel, uh, not even keel, excuse me, overconfident buyers uh, in that we go in, we say, look, this is what I do. This is how it's differentiated from the solutions that we believe exist out there in the marketplace today. And this is why you should do business with us. And we get met with some level of resistance that says, you know what, we're good. Uh, we're working with the, what we believe is the best company in the space. That's really not going to change. You're wasting your time uh, talking to us. Um, 
And really my belief on that, and I get this straight from Miller Hyman, was that uh, the hardest buyer to sell is not the overconfident buyer. It's actually the even keel buyer who really just doesn't care because overconfident buyers always cycle back into trouble. And so I always tell my people when we when we encounter people who are just adamant about the fact that they've got the right solution, they don't, they're not interested in testing anything new, to just kind of stay in touch with that brand, with that organization, and with that buyer because there's no way you can take a stance in a technology business that's moving this fast. That is, uh, that, that is kind of a, we're going to operate in a closed eye environment and, and expect uh, to be um, um, stable with your client, with those dollars and within your organization for any long term period of time because the market's simply moving too fast. So, um, so we, we, we're dealing with a lot of people who are going through change management, either, either good or bad. And, uh, and that's been great uh, in terms of people who, who um, simply uh, are even keel or could take it or leave it. You know, Jim, my general philosophy there is, um, is is to get in and out of those sales processes as fast as possible. Uh, we're, we're a finite organization with an infinite opportunity. There's billions of dollars in programmatic marketing spend that's going to be done. Um, uh, you know, in 2017, we as an organization will do somewhere over $100 million, which means there's so much upside. There's so many people who need what we do uh, that, um, you know, one of the real arts of, uh, of covering the market when you've got a limited number of personnel is uh, – is knowing when when to engage and when not to engage, and if you can uh, identify when not to engage quickly, either with a buyer or an organization, for one or more reasons, uh, and not get dragged into a lengthy sales process, I think that's as important as uh, being successful uh, winning the calls that, that are a good fit. Yeah, most definitely. You've been doing this, well, you've been in a leadership capacity, James, for over 20 years at some amazing companies. How do you sustain uh, your uh, energy level, your your high growth and high performance without getting burnt out or or really even just without getting complacent, right? Like you truly have been there, done that. How do you keep going? Well, uh, you know, for me, I, I take a great deal of personal pride uh, in my personal brand. Uh, I like to say that I've got two speeds, full speed and sleep. Um, <laughs> now, does it, do I get tired? Do I get burnout? Are there days where the passion level isn't there? Uh, certainly. Um, is that something that I want to wear on my on my sleeve? Uh, every day, probably not. But at the same token, I'm human. Um, uh, here recently in my life, I've kind of recommitted to exercise. I'm 42 years old. I've found a lot of joy. I've got a trainer, so I'm making that personal investment myself. It's been a great exercise for me on Mondays and Fridays to go out and make that investment myself. I, I got an Orange Theory membership. And as I travel, I find that they've got studios around the country and I can They've got classes as early as 5 a.m. or 7 o'clock at night. And it's been great to just make sure that I'm taking care of myself and I have that outlet. And then I think um, also, you know, what really has resonated with me, and I don't know whether it's going through the trials of life and, you know, as you get older, but um, uh, for me, I want to be remembered as somebody who's got the most hireable people in the industry, right? I want to know that the people who spent any time working in an organization that I've been a part of, are incredibly respected and highly sought after. And so uh, over 20 years, uh, this idea that, you know, that I've played some sort of role in helping people guide success, that they've, uh, uh, that we've, uh, we've been in the trenches together, that we've learned uh, good and bad together, and then watch those people go on to other companies, do great things, assume leadership roles, is a great matter of pride. And so I, I just really um, keep that with me always, that, that, uh, that management uh, sales management is, in fact, a relationship business, and and uh, these guys are looking to me uh, uh, because they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, and because uh, they've got goals and aspirations that go beyond just selling media on Simplify's platform, 
And, uh, and that's, that's what makes me want to get up every day and take the hill. That's what makes me want to go research and learn something so that I can deliver a training on a topic that they need. That's what makes me, uh, want to, uh, you know, stay up late uh, on a, uh, in a hotel room on an airplane and make sure that, uh, that we are publishing stack rankings and sharing success stories across organization because, um, you know, they are one piece and a very big puzzle and everybody deserves an opportunity uh, to believe that they're making a difference, uh, and that, uh, you know, what they're doing in the marketplace is being seen and heard. And, and uh, that keeps me motivated. I, I love it. And I, I always enjoy talking to you, James. One of the things that you said to me before that, you know, has led to your success is, is candor. And, and I would love for you to just like dive into that with me. How do you, how do you do that without towing the line of, of maybe even becoming an asshole? Like how do you have candor both with your team and your clients? Well, you know, Candor is something important to me. In fact, if you were to interview every salesperson who's interviewed with me for the last five years, uh, it's a stock question on a sales call. When you say, hey, do you have any questions for me? And they say, well, you know, James, what do you look for in a, in a salesperson? My stock answer has been and probably will continue to be, I'm always seeking candor. And the reason why, and, and Jack Welch, um, there was a quote, at least it was attributed to Jack Welch that always resonated with me, that said, the higher you get in an organization, the more you get lied to. And he said, you don't get lied to directly, but you get the best possible version of the truth because nobody wants to let you down. And, and you know, it's almost impossible to do my job. In, in working with a client or in working with a sales professional, if I'm just getting a version of the truth. And so it's a personal philosophy of mine uh, to speak to people in a very candid way. That doesn't mean uh, that I'm challenging to the point of, of, uh, of believing that I'm always right, uh, but it means that I'm challenging to the point of always sharing with you exactly what, um, what I believe. Uh, and or what behaviors are uh, I'm exhibiting or you're behaving and what I make up about those behaviors. And um, and I think that what it does, if I were to just change the word from candor, I would say it creates a level of authenticity. And what clients love and what salespeople love is they want to know that they're working with people ultimately who are authentic. And uh, I don't I don't you know, I don't have it down to an art form. But at the end of the day, my my wish for my clients for the salespeople who work with me and for the leadership that I report to is that they say, you know what, James Moore is authentic. And, and I know that when I'm talking with him and I'm interacting with him, uh, we're, we're getting a good two way information flow that we can take to the bank that we can use to constructively build a business. And I don't have to pass it through a filter and try to interpret it. And I just think that that, that leads to speed of business. And uh, I've worked in big fortune 500 companies and the bureaucracy associated with that. I've also worked with companies where I reported directly to the CEO and we were a lean organization and I will take speed of, speed and clarity of communication over all the wonderful benefits that come with a big company every day of the week. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast is for my own personal learning. And I literally just took that note and I highlighted it twice because the speed of business is so incredibly valuable, as you said, when it comes to candor. And you know, some people... They just can't handle it. They can't handle the truth. And and I just, I'm still working myself on trying to figure out that balance of delivering that information to them without, you know, coming across, as I said earlier, as an asshole. But uh, I took a note, like I said, and highlighted it. So I appreciate that. James, one of the things that uh, I get the biggest feedback on with this show is people say, hey, these guys are great. Clearly you've vetted them. They've had a lot of success, but they haven't always been successful. Let, let them tell us about a time when they failed. Take me back to a time where, you know, this things just didn't go right for you and, and you found yourself on the other side of success. Sure. Well, um, you know, the, the road of success is paved with a lot of failures and I'm, I'm certainly no different. 
you know, I, a couple of things come to mind, uh, both in sales and sales leadership. In one of my early days of sales leadership, I had the opportunity to represent a market, a small sales team, and I was meeting with the CEO, the executives of the organization. We were talking about some of the challenges in the market. And um, and I remember being this young, gung-ho salesperson and really, you know, almost tooting my horn, kind of like, you know, I guys, you guys give me the direction and I'm going to go tear through that wall. You guys tell me what you're going to do. You've never had a manager who's going to execute it on the way I do. And I'll never forget because it stuck with me, you know, now my entire career, the, the CEO stood up and he says, you know, James, I think we probably need to reschedule this meeting till tomorrow because here's the thing, you're a leader and we pay you to come up with solutions. Uh, not to have us tell you solutions and then go run through walls. And, you know, and if you don't, if you're not sitting around examining the problems and coming up with the solutions that you're bringing to us uh, to evaluate and to implement, then you are negligent, frankly, in your job as a leader. And that's uh, really stuck with me my entire life that I really have to take ownership and just make sure that, that, uh, that I'm coming to every problem, uh, thinking through it myself. Uh, not being an excuse-oriented individual that's looking over the fence for somebody didn't give me the training I need or didn't give me the direction I need. There's really no place for that uh, 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 in a world where you want to be successful. Uh, it's very empowering the minute you take ownership of the fact that you're in control and that if there's something you don't know that you can go get that information. If there's a challenge that's out there and you let it persist uh, without attacking it and finding a resolution that you made that conscious decision. The other thing, Jim, that just comes to mind is that I've had the opportunity to work uh, not only with clients, and with salespeople. And I've had some very great salespeople who were very successful choose not to work with me anymore and leave. And I've had some very big clients, by the way, who spent a lot of money with me and who I worked with directly who made conscious decisions to leave. And, and sometimes I think it's fair to say it's because of who I was and how I communicated. And uh, I had the CEO of CareerBuilder.com actually pull me in his office once and he says, James, he says, you're a tremendous salesperson and sales leader. In fact, maybe one of the very best. Uh, but the reality is, is that the way you communicate, right, may only resonate with about 50% of the population. The problem becomes if you ever want to be bigger than what you are today, you're going to have to learn to find success with the other 50% who, by the way, thinks differently than you do, communicates at a different pace than you do, learns at a different pace than you do, uh, may engage in the behaviors you want, but may not adopt the beliefs behind them that you want them to. And you've got to be okay with that. And so I think that, um, you know, getting uh, confronted with this idea that you lose people you really couldn't afford to lose and clients that you couldn't afford to lose and recognizing that, again, um, you have a role in that. It's not customer success. It's not those sorts of things that I could have controlled that and I should have controlled that. And I'm in control of me. And if I can change me and get a different them, then that's a real victory. And that's been a very empowering uh, lesson I've learned from, you know, from a lot of failure. Man, I, I love that. Like you said, that is powerful stuff. And a lot of learning, again, for myself, I can take from that. So James, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. It's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. 
Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We're back and it's time for the money round. James, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Making that personal decision to say, I own it. To basically say, I'm in control and that if I want a different result from a client, from a coworker, from a spouse, from a kid, that I have no control over anybody but me. And if I change me, I might get a different result from them. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? You know, I would probably spend less time focusing on how to be a great salesperson, and I probably would commit more time to making sure that I fully understand the product, the service, the limitations, the strengths, and the business application of whatever it is I've chosen to represent. Because what I have found is that salespeople, when they have confidence, they can sell anything. If they uh, are unclear about what it is they represent or have a lack of confidence, then they will struggle no matter what 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 you put in front of them. And so uh, I would spend the first 30 days just doing everything I can to make sure that when I walk into a room that I've got total confidence that uh, I know more about whatever it is we're talking about than anybody I've ever going to meet with. Two-part question here. Which, which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? Uh, I hate to lose primarily because I expect to win. I love it. Uh, what's a book, James, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Uh, two books come to mind, actually. Snap Selling. I just think that if anybody has put their finger on the on the major change that has changed in the way people buy and how it has dramatically altered what a sales call looks like, I think Snap Selling is a great book that has certainly resonated with me. And another one that I've recommended again and again is a book called Tung Fu by Sam Horn. And it's really, uh, it's how to disarm, disable um, um, verbal conflict with people. It's words to use, words to live by, how to communicate with people and, and to be effective. And I've just found it to be one of the most practical books I've ever read. I know I'm going to have to pick up snap selling myself, but uh, <laughs> sales tuners, if you'd like to check out James's suggestion of snap selling uh, or Tung Fu, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a 30 day free trial of audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. What's the biggest piece of advice, James, that you would have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? You know, my biggest piece of advice is that be prepared to change. The world is evolving and so must you. You do not live in a vacuum. Uh, what worked yesterday may not work tomorrow, and you have got to be open to this idea that you have to be an evolving evolving person, an evolving approach, an evolving uh, uh, state of mind in order to be successful. So just get incredibly comfortable with change. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone connect you or find you after the show if they wanted to? Certainly, you can go to our website, which is uh, simply.fi, S-I-M-P-L-I dot F-I. Uh, you can go to the contact us. You can certainly locate me on LinkedIn as well. James Moore, Chief Revenue Officer, Simplify. James, thank you so much for joining me today. really appreciate it. You bet. You can seriously just sense the energy, passion, and candor James brings to the table for his company, his team, and even his clients. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, it is what you know. Everyone is familiar with the inherent value in networking, but what you know can be equally as important to closing a sale. Sales reps have to know the ins and outs of what they're actually trying to sell. If not, a challenge exists where a confused seller is trying to sell to a confused buyer. And even though everybody wants to pretend they know what's going on, they really don't. 
Number two, swipe right for success. Despite the ability to easily swipe right today, people are inherently distrustful about things they do not fully understand. That's why it's more necessary than ever to focus on the sale after the sale. A first date is great, but is it a good match? The answer to that question can define the long-term success to a sale. Number three, always seek candor. The quote James mentioned from the great Jack Welsh was golden. The higher you get in an organization, the more you get lied to. Think about that. Developing a personal philosophy to speak to people in a candid and understandable way is one of the best fundamental skills you can craft for your sales career. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there!